Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell here as we have a big show for you tonight as there's breaking news here uh, with Corey LaJoy. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but we also are going to talk to uh, two-time Cup Series winner and current NASCAR driver and broadcaster David Reagan. And it uh, looks like David is here now. Hello, David. Uh, thanks for joining the show tonight on Talking in Circles. Yeah, absolutely. Good to be on. How are you guys doing? Excellent, excellent. We appreciate you taking the time. And I want to kind of start with uh, – kind of go back in time a little bit with you and start with Roush Fenway Racing. Obviously, um, anybody who remembers your career, the beginning part of your career, remembers – that you were a driver there for a long time. Um, and, you know, really over the last six or seven years, the organization has been in a little bit of a funk. They haven't won a lot of races. Um, they've made some changes over the off season, but I, I guess what, what the first start is, is um, do you think that organization can get back to where they are? Jimmy Fennig, your former crew chief, uh, is now sort of running things over there again. Um, what are your thoughts on Rash Fenway as a whole right now? Well, I think that all teams go through uh, peaks and, and valleys uh, over the course of, of time. Uh, I remember, you know, back in the early 2000s, uh, you know, Roush Racing was the strongest team on the circuit, uh, winning back-to-back championships in 2004, 2005, I think putting all four or five cars in the chase uh, one of those years, and then when I got there in 07, our, our cars were really fast. Uh, I wish that I was a little bit, uh, had a little bit more experience in, in 2007 and 2008. I probably gave up a few wins uh, those first couple of seasons, even though we did have a, a great season in uh, in 2008. But, uh, you know, yeah, they have been in a, a little bit of a funk the last couple of years, have lost their way a little bit, uh, you know, some drivers coming in and out. And to answer your question, can they get back there? Uh, I think they can. I think that they've got to continue to spend a lot of money to uh, invest in, in technology and, and build faster race cars. I think they need to uh, to continue to hire good uh, crew chiefs and good drivers. Uh, I think Ryan Newman did a nice job for them, uh, kind of coming in and helping evaluate things. But, you know, Ryan is, is on the tail end of his career, so they need to find that next guy that can come in and, and bring a lot of energy and, and win some races. I think Chris Busher is a great driver that, uh, that is ready to, uh, to, to make it to that next level and be a, a championship contender. And, and like you mentioned, Jimmy Finning, uh, he was one of the smartest guys and the most hardworking guys that I've ever been around in the sport. So I, I think with his leadership uh, that he can help uh, those guys uh, navigate through, through this last season of, of the current car, and hopefully put some of the right tools in place to build this next-gen car and, and be fast. So, uh, yeah, I think they've got the tools there. I think they can do it, but but it's always easier said than done. This is Talking in Circles. Clayton Caldwell, Philip Matthews, Spencer Cameron. We're all talking to David Reagan, uh, uh, current cup driver and broadcaster here on Talking in Circles. Um, Front row motorsports, the next team I want to get to um, – Obviously, you drove there for the back part of your career uh, and even the middle part of your career. Um, for those who look at it, let, let's just be honest. You were always very honest about where that team was when you were there. Uh, they're still sort of in that middle ground. They're not a terrible race team. They, they, they certainly are uh, competitive, and they're a lot more competitive than where they were even five, ten years ago. 
but they're not a championship caliber yet. Um, what does that organization need to do for, in your eyes to get to that next step and to be a championship contender? What's lacking from that organization in your eyes? Well, they just really need the, the, the bigger budget that will allow them to uh, invest more in, in research and design, um, you know, more employees, uh, a little stronger uh, engineering department, uh, building newer race cars at a faster rate. And I think the model that Front Row Motorsports has, I think that's the model that, that NASCAR is shooting for. Um, they, they spend, you know, millions of dollars. Uh, on their race cars, they've got a, a, a nice shop, great employees, a, a good engineering group, but they're just not as, as big and as deep as Hendricks, Penske, uh, you know, Joe Gibbs Racing, Stuart Haas Racing, some of those mega teams. And I, and I think that model is, is way out in left field and it's not sustainable. And I think the NASCAR has recognized that. And I think those smaller teams like JTJ, Daughtery Racing, uh, I think that um, – you know, front row motorsports certainly fits that. Uh, I think that's that's where the NASCAR sweet spot is, in my opinion, that, uh, that that's what makes it sustainable. So what separates, you know, a, a team like front row motorsports and one of those larger teams uh, is probably, you know, I don't know, 75% more budget. And, and, and really what makes that difference is manufacturer support. Even though Ford Motor Company, Front Row Motorsports, they don't support it in the same way that, that they do Stuart Haas Racing or Team Penske or, or the same way Chevrolet does Hendrick. So I think if, if another manufacturer came into the sport, that would uh, would, would kind of even things out a little bit and spread out uh, some more resources. Or as NASCAR uh, holds those bigger teams to not spending as much money, I think that will, will help things as well. So I, I think that business model that Bob Jenkins has, and, and he's been very disciplined to to stay very steady and on track. And like you mentioned, that race team has gotten progressively a little bit better, a little bit better over the years. has been able to win a couple of races, made the playoffs one or two times. So, so they're close. But uh, I think in the next five years that that could be the next big team. And, and we have to remember there was a time when Hendrick Motorsports was just a one-car team with a few employees, and they won their first race. The same thing with, you know, Jack Roush and, and Mark Martin back in, I think, 1998 when he won his first race. So uh, every, every big team has humble beginnings, and I think a team like Front Row Motorsports can be that next team you know, in, in the next 10 years that uh, they can be a championship contender. Right. Yeah, this is Philip. Uh, thanks for coming on, David, as, um, <clears throat> for Clayton, for Spencer, myself. Um, you mentioned the four-car rule. Uh, as somebody who drove with Roush Fenway, of course, when they were at their peak, uh, where they had four cars, even five cars, um, when you made your debut, uh in in what was an 06 car i think that was a sixth uh car for roush racing at that particular point for a few races um and then going to front row which for the majority of their time has been a two-car organization and even thinking to your time even with your father of course being a journeyman racer running on a small budget uh do you see the do you see that, like you mentioned in it just now, but does this new car bring uh, the the people who can go and 
and you can put a budget together, a small budget together and show up and run a limited amount of races, does it give those teams or those people an opportunity to get back in the sport and maybe grow car counts? Or is it because of these big, you know, super teams? Has that kind of taken those owners out of the out of the business and now we kind of need to find um, really, really uh, um, affluent people to come into the sport and 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 like kind of bolster the field, like say Michael Jordan. Yeah, I mean to, to answer your question, I, I do not think this new car will, will help expand the field and and allow those smaller, you know, part time teams to come in. I think those days are long gone, and we will never see that again. Uh, which, which I don't think is entirely a bad thing. Uh, we do need to remember that the sport of NASCAR, the premier division, is the Cup division, and and I've heard the uh, executives at NASCAR say they don't want 60 cars to show up for the Daytona 500, uh, that they want their you know 35 to 40 cars that are all fully funded, you know, ready to race and, and premier. Uh, teams that uh, this is the premier division in North America, and so I don't think we want a a small farmer from South Georgia to show up uh, like my father did, uh, you know, 30 years ago to try to make the Daytona 500. There's a place for that, and that could be in the K&N series or the ARCA Menard series, uh, maybe even in the Gander Outdoor Truck series. Uh, I think there's a place, but the premier division we need to have team owners like Rick Hendrick, Roger Penske. Uh, we need to have guys uh, like Joe Gibbs that, that um, are, are very uh, strong and, and influential in the sports world, a guy like Michael Jordan. Uh, and and I, think, I don't think we need to get to a point like Formula One where it's the ultra-rich uh, playground and you have three or four cars win all the races and you only have 16 or 18 cars show up. I, I don't think that's healthy, but I think having – you know, 15 owners that all have, you know, two or three cars each, and uh, and you have the premier uh, division with uh, quality teams and quality employees and very professional. I think that's what we need, and that's what this new car I think will will allow a team like Front Row Motorsports to to prosper. But but the small teams and and the um, the volunteer help. Uh, that that's just a thing of our past that we can sit back on and enjoy, but those those days will never be here. Uh, Philip mentioned the new car, and obviously that's something coming in 2022 is pushed back from 2021 due to COVID-19. Um, but I do have a couple of you know thoughts on this new car, and, and uh, hopefully this is something that uh, you can help answer. Um, one of my fears with this new car, and there's some good things and some and some things that are going to change for sure, is the team aspect of this. Now, you know, team, from what we hear, and it has, I don't know if it's been officially announced, they're going to basically buy their cars from one source. They're no longer going to be building cars in-house. Um, and to me, I, I do believe that eventually, and, and we'll get to this a little bit later, maybe with the hybrid engine, that uh, pit crews are going to change significantly as well here in the next five years. Part of what I, what I cherish about NASCAR and what I love about NASCAR is the fact that it's a team sport and each team has their different identity. Are you afraid at all with this new car that that's going to change it with with this new car coming in 2022? 
You know, I, I'm not, and I'm as big of a traditionalist as anyone uh, in the garage. And um, and what I'm uh, aware of and what I've seen firsthand is that the current model is not sustainable. Uh, it's just not. Uh, when you have teams that can design and build their own cars and do their own thing, one, it's hard for NASCAR to even write a rule book to cover all of that because you have – 10 different chassis, you've got 10 different suspensions and 10 different this, and, you know, there's there's multiple builds of, of uh, suspension parts and, and, and how they build and construct the chassis, how they mount the seat, how they do the wiring harness, and so it's almost impossible to even create a rule book to, to do that, and over the years, NASCAR has tried to simplify things and, and to make things um, more interchangeable amongst the teams and have a design process and things that would, would still allow for creativity uh, in the garage, which is something our sport was built on, but it, it's hard to have both. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Again, the Formula One series, every team has their own spec, their own thing, but, but you've got one or two guys that win all the races. You've only got 18 cars in, in the whole world that can afford to do it, and I don't think the racing is that great. It's cool from a technology standpoint, but but so is going to Kennedy Space Center in Florida and looking at the at the astronauts and and all the spaceships and stuff. You know that's cool, but but stock car racing is um, we need to have I think 35 to 40 cars on the track. And so NASCAR's got a very difficult job of of trying to balance both. But but we I don't think we can have it one way and still expect it to be well because you will always have those premier teams. They will, uh, you know, that they will just out-engineer and out-spend, and that makes it no fun for anybody new coming in. And for the last 20 years, uh, all the stories have been about the team shutting down. We haven't had any new teams coming to our sport uh, over the last 10 or 15 years to speak of, maybe one here or there. But, um, you know, you can count. We could we could count for five minutes all the teams that have shut down and left. So, I think that's a bold decision, and I think this new car has encouraged um, some of these these new teams to start up and, and guys to invest in our sport to uh, to come over. So I think that you'll still have the engines that you know Ford, Chevrolet, Toyota, and hopefully a new manufacturer will have in their race car. But if you look at race cars around the whole world, from Australia to the V8 supercars, Formula One, in some ways certainly IndyCar and IMSA, uh, they're all common parts and pieces. They have a common carbon fiber tub or shell, common bodies, common suspension parts. And, and so we're, we're, I think, 20 years behind. I, I feel like that, that NASCAR could have done this 15 or 20 years ago and, and would have been ahead of the curve, but better late than never. And I, I think that this will, will be a, a great change uh, going forward and, and make the cars more stock. Uh, you know, you hear a lot of fans, you know, hey, we want the stock cars back. And um, and so I think the car that we will race in 22 will be a lot more like the, the Ford Mustang you can go buy from your local Ford dealer than the Ford Mustang is today. So I think we are going in that more uh, of a stock things that, that you can buy uh, from the dealership, and, and that will continue to keep the stock in stock car racing. Yeah, David, this is Spencer. Just want to. Thank you for taking the time. Um, with the new car coming, will the role of the crew chief um, 
will it still be the same with the new car coming, or will the crew chief mean just as much as they do now? Um, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think it will be. Um, the crew chief has a lot to do with strategy. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll be studying the races and maybe even more uh, so going forward. Uh, but, yes, you know, there's still going to be so many things you can adjust on this car. You know, all of your caster camber settings, um, you know, obviously your, your shock and your spring ab- uh, absorbers. So you can't change as many interchangeable parts and pieces. So maybe the design process isn't going to be as in-depth because now, chiefs and engineers they're designing the whole car where now they're going to get basically a kit um, and they're going to bolt the parts and pieces on but you're still going to have to manage your employees Uh, some teams are going to have a better process and be able to bolt on those parts and pieces and still build a better race car Um, and then obviously setting the car up and I think this will put even more into the driver's hands when you know sometimes uh, an average driver can get into a really, really good car and look great, and vice versa. And I think now the the Kyle Bushes of the world, and I think the the guys that are just talented, really talented, uh, they'll be able to showcase a little bit more if they can get that extra half of a tenth or half uh, of a little bit of a miles per hour here and there. So yeah, I think every job will, um, you know, will will be extra important. Uh, because they're not going to have those great big advantages like they have in years past. We're talking to David Reagan here. This is Talking in Circles. Clayton Caldwell, Philip Matthew, and Spencer Cowan here. Uh, you mentioned a bigger emphasis on the driver. I agree with you. And it sounds like you also mentioned earlier in the show how uh, you think this car will help a team like Front Row Motorsports sort of close the gap a little bit with the bigger teams. With that being said, um, is there such a thing in your opinion – as being too close, these teams and these cars being too close to where it's it's almost impossible to pass. Um, in, in your eyes, is there is there such a thing as that? Yes, there is. I mean, when when every car runs the exact same speed, in theory, you have no passing. Uh, you know, the definition of a pass is when one car is faster than the other, and and you can uh, you know you can pass or be passed. And so while this is a, a double-edged sword, you, you do want the cars closer together because you want to have more cars racing in tighter quarters. You want more cars on the lead lap. You don't want, um, you know, a car winning by five laps. Uh, often you hear race fans talk about how the racing back in, in the 60s and 70s were the good old days. Well, well I don't agree. I, I remember when the guy would, would finish third and, and he would be three laps down or Obviously, the record was, was Ned Jarrett winning the race at Darlington by 14 laps. Uh, so, so we certainly don't need that. Uh, I think that's a little uh, far out there. But, but we don't want everybody to have the exact same car. Uh, and so I, and I don't think that will be a problem because when you're dealing with human beings assembling and building parts and pieces, you're always going to have some level of tolerance. And so while the cars will be very similar, uh, they will not be identical um, there's going to be tolerance in, in some of the parts. There will be tolerance in, in the bodies. And you're, you're going to have to assemble these cars that, that uh, will still be very important to, uh, to do that the right way. So uh, I think that is more of an opportunity for Goodyear to create a tire that really falls off so you can have drivers that are easier on the tires that can still pass. I think that's one problem that we have at a lot of places today. The tires don't wear out. As, as much as they did in the past. They're too good. They're really, really good tires. And so if, if, uh, if Goodyear can, can get ahead of the curve 
and get it to where the tires really do wear, I think that um, I think that we have a recipe for incredible action. Now, all those pieces have to come together, and it may take you know a half of a season or even a full season to navigate through some of that. But but hopefully, um, everybody's working hard enough the the next twelve months, and we'll be able to uh, to make that all make sense. It's great points there in terms of the new car. Um, I think one piece that is a part of our current the Gen 6 car and then going to this Gen 7 is with the platform is the 550 horsepower uh, rules package. Now that's become kind of a lightning rod amongst fans and, you know, with the drivers in some cases. Uh, what are your thoughts on the 550 rules package? I mean, you drove in Cup when, you know, in the Gen 4 era. You're one of the last guys that were able to drive the Gen 4 cars, and there was way more, I think, 800, close to 900 horsepower back then. And driving a 550 package with the huge, the BAS, as uh, Dale Jr. said on uh, at Talladega the one time, uh, what it, what what is the 550 rules package like to you? What do you think of it? Do you think it really promotes good racing and is it going to be something that transitions into this gen seven car or is there further changes that NASCAR is going to make to where the horsepower may be adjusted accordingly based on racetracks? Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, on the those, yeah those are some good questions. I mean, you know, as a race car driver and even as a race fan, you want to, see the most horsepower that you can you can get and and so it is a little disappointing to know that that we have three or four hundred more horsepower available uh to what what we could have but but again you know we have certain guidelines we have to work around Uh, obviously over time we can engineer race cars that would continue to go faster and faster and faster and we've seen that when the cars get over 200 miles an hour it's hard to keep them on the ground. The drivers get hurt. Fans get hurt. You know, you can't uh, keep the catch fence, uh, you know, up when they start flipping like that. So we know we've got to keep them under 200 miles per hour. And, um, and, and we, you know, they were 200 miles an hour 30 years ago. So, so I mean, we could go out and run a 300-mile-an-hour lap maybe at, at, at Talladega if we could build the car with, with whatever rules we wanted to implement. So, you know, that that's just being realistic. We've got to – govern the, the cars in some way shape or form and so um you know it doesn't bother me i still think that it's um uh, it separates the good drivers from the bad and the slow cars from the fast cars i think if if, if the fans didn't know what horsepower the the cars had no one would would even care i think i think it's more of a um of a talking point that oh you know you only have five or six hundred horsepower um, I, you know, sometimes I wish that, that the fans didn't know some of that and they could just enjoy the good race for what it is. But are, are the, 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 the downforce package that we currently have, are they better at the mile-and-a-half track? Absolutely, you know, without a, a question. And for the drivers to say that they're, you know, easy to drive and just wide open, that, that's a lie. You know, that, that's not the case. Um, the guys are still having to lift. They still have to have a good handling car. If it were super easy... The, the guy who qualifies 40th could, could run in the front and could lead the race. That's still not the case. So, you know, you still have the fast cars and the slow cars. So I, I love the package. And um, and I think that at the short tracks, 
Uh, NASCAR made the right call. They, they took some downforce away and added some horsepower, and, and I think they found a pretty good balance. Uh, but again, to encourage manufacturers to come, um, you know, no one's building a an 800 horsepower V8 with a, a you know a roller cam and, and push rod engine that that's naturally uh, aspired uh, today for for their production cars. So we're going to see some type of a hybrid uh, electronification uh, in our engines in the next five seasons because that's what the cars that we're going to be driving on the road is going to have. So it's always going to be evolving, and I'm okay with that. Um, again, you know, try to keep it as stock as it can be, and, and I think that five to 600 horsepower, that, that's just a number uh, to me, you know, that they could have 300 horsepower, and if you put a right-sized tire and took the downforce off, they could still have a, a great race. Um, so I, I, th- that doesn't bother me that the number uh, is much. So I'm, I'm fine with that. Uh, moving on to another interesting thing here in the 2021 schedule, really what's happened um, because of 2020, are one-day shows. And uh, one thing I admire about you in your career, you always made time for the fans, whether it was even Sunday morning uh, before a race. And uh, I know a lot of drivers do sponsorship appearances there as well. But there are some guys, David, and, and I'm sure you could, you know this, that don't like to be bothered on a Sunday um, or a race day, I should say, whether, you know, they don't want to be bothered because they got a task at hand, whether it's running for a championship or something of that nature. Um, what, as far as fans are concerned, and, and that's what we all three of us are, we're fans, so we're kind of looking at it from the fans' perspective here. Uh, are you at all afraid that, that the interaction between Drivers and the fans, something that NASCAR has been touted as as, as a extremely fan-friendly sport. Do you think that that will be an issue here in 2021? And as long as they continue these one-day shows, what are your thoughts on that? You know, it, it certainly could be. And, and uh, you know, I think that is what makes the sport of NASCAR so special is the fan interaction with the drivers and the opportunity to, to visit with the, the stars of the show minutes before they're competing. And, and there's no other sport that has that kind of access, uh, period. And so anytime I had new friends or, or people that would come to the racetrack for the first time, they could not believe they could stand on pit road and, and get an autograph before the race or even see the driver that morning at a, a Q&A session or an autograph session out front. You know, if you go to the other stick and ball sports, you know, you're lucky if you see them on the week of the event, and certainly not the day. Uh, there's even media members and people that can't even see them on that morning. So the access that the fans have is what makes our sport so great, and I don't want to lose that. So I do, on one end, um, I'm not a big fan of, of just the one-day shows. I did think it helped the racing on the racetrack. Um, so I don't know how you incorporate both, and I think that – you know, having the, the trucks, uh, the Arkham Menard series, the Xfinity cars on the track, maybe the, the cup drivers need to be there and, and have some autograph sessions and do some things at the racetrack on those Fridays or Saturdays to kind of make, make you know, both part happy. You still have that, but, you you know, you don't have all the extra track time. So, you know, I, I think they, they've got a pretty good plan for next year. Some of the marquee events, they'll have some traditional weekends, but obviously we still got the COVID you know, issue that's still going to be a part of our life, you know, for the next three to six months anyway. And um, and so that's really the only option they have. But I think when we get to 2022, 
just my personal opinion, I think we'll go back to traditional weekends because this new car, they're going to need some additional practice and laps. So, and, and hopefully COVID is going to be a thing of the past and, you know, something that will be in our memory banks. But I think that this that this probably won't be something that's like this forever. I could see this being adjusted uh, over the years. Yeah, we're touching on a lot of good topics for next year. Another topic um, is no practice. You know, what do you – how do you feel about the no practice? You know, obviously that can affect smaller teams like um, front row um, that you're trying to build and get up there and – um, they need that track time before, you know, green flag on Sunday to get their cars right. Um, what is your take on that? Will it affect the smaller teams um, as much as we think it will? Or um, what do you what do you think about that? You know, uh, just, just talking to Michael McDowell this year and, and a couple of the guys, uh, it, it really helped the smaller teams this year because the, the, the bigger teams, they can learn at a faster rate than the smaller teams do just because they have more people. They have more data points. Uh, they have people back at the shop that are working on things. So um, Michael felt, and, and I, I felt like that as too, you could see the uh, the smaller teams uh, be a little more competitive uh, at times this year. So I, I think that it kind of worked opposite to where the larger teams couldn't fine-tune and get their cars just right, where the smaller teams could show up and, and be pretty close. But, again, we're, we're running basically the same car we've run for several years. Uh, Goodyear hasn't uh, changed the tire construction a lot, and we haven't had any newly repaved racetracks in the last year or two. So, um, you know, and the technology has gotten so uh, so outstanding that the teams can uh, set up their race cars and predict a lot of the um, the uh, the questions going into a weekend with with pretty good certainty. And so they were really close. It, it really was amazing at how well the cars handled and how the drivers reacted with with very no or no laps at all uh, until the green flag dropped. So I, I was was surprised and, and impressed at the same time, and it made it fun to watch as a fan. By the time Sunday rolls around, you kind of know who's the top two or three guys, and you know after qualifying and they pick the best pit stalls and they have happy hour and you know there you kind of know who's going to be racing for the win. But when they drop the green flag and there's been no practice and no laps. You don't really know. So as a fan, I really wanted to tune in to that first part of the run because I could see, oh, man, you know, he's struggling or he's really good. He's driving from the back to the front. So it made it more interesting for me versus in years past when they dropped the green flag, you knew exactly who was fast on happy hour. And you could about count the top two or three guys that were going to be running in the top two or three. So I, I, I thought it was awesome to not have uh, any practice at the, at the races this year. Cool. Just a couple more, David, if you don't mind. Um, schedule. Obviously, the new 2021 schedule is out. There's a lot of changes. There's a dirt race at Bristol for the Cup Series. Uh, a lot more road course racing uh, in 2021 as well. They moved Chicagoland and Kentucky. I'm a traditionalist. I know uh, I can speak for one of our hosts as well. He's a traditionalist as well. I, I am sort of biased because I think NASCAR beats all other um, racing entities out there. And that's where I kind of look at it and say, I love short track racing. I wish we had more short track racing. No doubt they're moving Auto Club Speedway to a short track here in a couple of years. But there's just a lot more road courses than what I personally would like to see. Um, what do you think about the schedule? Do you like that, that it's, a, it's certainly a lot more uh, – there's a lot more variety in it in 2021 than there was in 2020. Uh, but what are, you, what are your thoughts on the schedule? 
Well, yeah, I'm, I'm a little mixed. Uh, I'm like you. I, I do love the road. Uh, I do like the short tracks. Uh, I think that NASCAR was built on tracks, you know, one mile and shorter in length. And I feel like our cars put on a really good show uh, at those venues. So uh, I'm happy that, that they made the hard decision to not go to Kentucky and Chicago. I think those were two tracks that didn't have a lot of interest. Uh, they had kind of lost what interest they did have over the years. And, and those were low on, on the totem pole. I think there's a couple of other mile-and-a-half tracks that, that can go as well. Uh, so I know those are very tough decisions to make. But, you know, I think the reason there's more road courses on is because those are readily available and are able to hold, you know, 50 to 60, 70,000 people uh, at the track. I can't think of any short tracks in, in North America Maybe Iowa, uh, and I don't really consider that a short track. It's better than a mile and a half, but but there's no other tracks that that unless you spend millions of dollars uh, to to get ready. You know NASCAR really doesn't have to spend any money at Circuit of the Americas. They don't have to spend any money at Road America. Uh, but I would have liked to have seen you know a, a track like a Memphis or you know, another short track uh, that, that's a true short track, a half mile or three-quarter mile, and, and there's just really none in North America. I think if there were some, they could make it work, but, but I mean, and, and if you know of some that I'm not aware of, but, you know, Irwindale, I don't even know if they still race at Irwindale or not, but, you know, the tracks like, you know, Rockingham and North Wilkesboro, and, you know, that they're, they're left for a reason. No, no one went to those races when they, they had truck races and stuff you know, in the past few years. So, you know, those are unrealistic, and it's a shame that that's not a, an option. But And it's also hard to, you know, snap your fingers and build a $100, $100 million facility, you know, somewhere for short tracks. So I guess we'll have that at Auto Club. But are there any other short tracks that, that we could have went to? No, I don't think so. But my, you know, what I think is, and maybe I'm totally off on this, is I always feel like we can sort of work their way up to the Cup Series. Obviously, the Cup Series schedule right now, as it's constructed in 2020, there are, you're absolutely right, aside from Iowa and maybe Memphis, as far as different barriers are concerned and all that kind of stuff, that certainly, there's certainly no option. But, you know, I don't think it's crazy to sit there and say, well, I want to see a little bit of, of you know, a truck race go to maybe the Nashville, Nashville Fairground Speedway or another short track around the country. Um, and, and sort of built the infrastructure up a little bit to where in five or ten years down the road we could at least have the discussion that that, that we're going to move a cup race there. That, to me, yeah. is where we're oh, missing you, the ball with this schedule. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. And, and the problem is I think NASCAR's sanctioning fees are so high, it is almost impossible for a, a truck race to make any money um, without having a, a, a cup date. And I, I, I've spoke to car or, or track owners, and they lose money on, on a truck race uh, because the sanctioning fee is so high uh, that they can't – They even if they have a lot of people come, like Mansfield Motorsports Park, they just can't make the numbers work. So I do agree. I, I wish that NASCAR could – make some concessions, and, and make that work where the trucks absolutely would run, um, you know, maybe a, a Memphis, maybe, you know, South Boston or an Irwindale, some of those racetracks. Uh, and I do agree on that. And, and the truck series, in my opinion, uh, that's exactly where they need to be. I don't think they need to be at some of these marquee big 
big events. But um, you know, that's something that yes, I, I wish that that could happen. But you know, none of the, the, the tracks that have just a truck date that they can't they can't afford to do it, and that's why you saw. You know, Eldora is not on the schedule, and some of the other standalone races that the Xfinity had, uh, or or trucks had at um, you know some of the other racetracks, they just can't make it work. So yes, I wish wish that was the case. Uh, before we let you go, David, I know that you ran the Daytona 500. You got a top five in the Daytona 500. You've become a, a sort of a super speed. You've always been a super speedway. Uh, kind of specialist or genius in a way. Um, and you've also, you were able to finally run uh, some truck races for your buddy, David Gill and then DGR Crosley. You ran at Darlington a couple other times. Uh, what are your plans for uh, 2021? Uh, are you going to run with front row since front row, obviously has a opening, maybe uh, Bob Jenkins gives you a call to run the 38 at the Daytona 500 or, uh, do you have anything going on with DGR Crosley for trucks? What do you have going on for 2021? Well, my, my main focus is working with Ford Performance and, and the development of this next-gen uh, Ford Mustang. So that that's will will be my priority in, uh, in doing some testing for them, uh, doing some testing on the simulator and making sure that the Ford teams have the uh, the tools that they need to, to get their current cars uh, a little faster this season and also to get that car up to speed as the – race teams start getting them in and building them later on uh, this next year. So, yes, I would still love to run a couple of races, but, but we'll, we'll see if the, the timing works out, if, if there's a, you know, a, a race that, that works good on my schedule and a track that I really enjoy. Um, I still love to race. I still love to be in that race car and, and compete. But uh, with my, my duties at, at Fox Sports doing some analyst work on their race up show, uh, that's a lot of fun. I enjoy that. Uh, and then I enjoy my, my work with Ford and, and contributing to the, the next-gen car. That That's going to be uh, a lot of fun this year. So, you know, th- those are my two priorities. And then if I can fit in a race here or a race there, uh, kind of like I did this year, uh, that that's what we'll do. But, uh, you know, I want to, to take care uh, of my family and, and be home some. And, and I certainly don't want to sign up for a lot of races and a lot of appearances and a lot of things that, um, that kind of kept me away from uh, my family in years past. So uh, you might see me pop in a, a few times here and there, but I don't have anything uh, on schedule yet. And, and I'm sure, you know, once the new year rolls around and we'll kind of have a chance to look at the schedule and talk to a few of our sponsors and kind of see what uh, what would be fun. Had a couple of cool tracks that I really like, and, um, and we'll see. But, yeah, hopefully I can run a couple of races. That, that would be fun. Well, I – as somebody who rooted for you for your pretty much your entire career, I'll be excited to see you in a truck race or a cup race uh, in the future. David, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and giving us the time. We really appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate you guys uh, having us on. Y'all have a, a great Christmas. Uh, thanks for all the support uh, over the years, and look forward to hopefully the, the, this COVID uh, uh, deal going away sooner than, than we expect and, and seeing some normal people and fans back at the racetracks next year. That that would be fun. Yeah, that'd be awesome. We can't wait. And, uh, again, thank you so much. And that was David Reagan, uh, current NASCAR driver and broadcaster, of course, uh, talking in circles tonight. Gave us some great info, guys. A lot to dissect here and even more to dissect into uh, future shows, you know, uh, about about some things. And, and certainly it, it um, expanded my knowledge on this new car, 
certainly there was a lot of, of information in there that uh, I didn't know about the new car that he gave us. So uh, I'm, I'm, I was, it was really informative. So I'm really glad uh, he could provide that, that information um, for us. So I want to kind of transition here because there is some breaking news. We kind of uh, mentioned it to start the show. There is some breaking news here this week, and I'll get um, uh, Phillip's opinion on it, then I'll get Spencer's on it before we uh, before I, we continue here, before I give my opinion. But uh, Corey LaJoy, who was sort of been in the free agent market here over the last four or five months, he's announced he wasn't going to return to the 32 team a couple of months ago. But now uh, it is announced that he will go to Spire Motorsports, drive the number – it's going to be number seven Chevrolet. They have two charters this year. Um, for Spire, they have the number 77 that they're going to announce at a later date, the driver of that car. And then they've got, of course, number seven, which was announced today for Corey LaJoy. Um, still a lot of details to be put out there, Philip. but uh, from what you know and, and what you've gathered from this announcement, what are your thoughts on the Corey LaJoy going to Spire Motorsports? I mean, for for Corey, he's, he's a guy that's kind of been a grinder his whole career, kind of like his dad. He, but unlike his dad, he really hasn't gotten that great opportunity where, like, you know, Bill Baumgartner and the 74 car, the FINA car, where his dad won those two Bush championships. Uh, Corey, I think, what is it? He ran for the Rulo brothers a few years ago in an ARCA car. And uh, he's he's a hard-nosed guy, hard-nosed racer, tough out, uh, but he's never really been given that top-flight opportunity. I think he hopes that this this uh, opportunity will with Spire will will uh, be a, be a good one. And to be completely honest, I think it's basically a lateral move. Uh, they will be going into the what was the Alan Kowicki shop and Jeff Bodine shop, and most recently Levine Family Racing. Um, Jeff Dickerson, who used to work with Hendrick Motorsports and other places, is one of the owners. They're saying they want to be more competitive. I think their aim is to um, be out there next year and kind of do some things and get some pieces in place so that in 22 with the new car, they can really be competitive. Um, so it'll be, uh, it'll be something to see. Uh, I figure Daytona and Talladega, they'll be out there and competitive. I think the short tracks will also be good for Corey LaJoy. He he proved that he could do that this past year, even in the 32 car. So um, it'll be uh, something to see. I mean, he'll he'll run about where he's run his whole entire cup career. Um, but I think his... He's banking in a in a lesser extent. He's banking on himself and banking on this organization getting the funding so that it could truly prove what his talent is uh, starting in 2022. Yeah, I, I totally uh, understand exactly what you're saying there. It's going to be interesting to see how Corey does in this ride. Um, he's certainly a guy I think a lot of people look at and say. A young kid, a driver who's never really gotten a shot yet, and this is the closest he's gotten to it. How about you, uh, Spencer? Your thoughts when you heard the news about um, – obviously, there's still a lot of information to go out. There's rumors. There's been rumors about an alliance, but none of that's confirmed as of this moment. The crew chief has yet to be announced. Uh, but what are your thoughts on Corey LaJoy going to Spire for next year? Yeah, it's 
it's hard to be optimistic because you don't know how good. I mean, it's it's Spire. I mean, um, you, I mean you can say there might could possibly have an alliance, but um, we saw that this year with the 32 car having Stuart Haas. I mean, it didn't really. I don't think it really helped the team um, much at all. Um, but I think Corey's a great driver. I just think he's never had that opportunity. Like Phillips said, I mean, he's ran for BK racing. He's ran for TriStar, which a lot of people probably forgot in the 72 car. Um, he's ran for go fast. It's, you know, it's, it's go fast. You're, you're going to run, you know, 25th, you know, um, on your cookie cutter tracks and you're going to be up front at your speedway tracks. And I think this is going to be the same deal. I mean, unfortunately there's just no top ride available for him. Corey doesn't bring a lot of sponsorship and that's nothing against him. It's just, he, he just doesn't. Um, I mean, look at Kyle Larson. I mean, he doesn't bring a lot of sponsorship and it's Kyle Larson. Um, you know, so some guys just don't bring a lot of sponsorship. And unfortunately that's the name of the game is you got to bring money. Um, and you got to throw a lot of it down on the, uh, on the desk of those big shops and in order to get a ride, you know, they, these these team owners aren't going to sit here and run out of pocket. Uh, some of them do. Uh, you know, Matt Colleg over in Xfinity is one of those examples. He will. Um, you know, Rick Hendrick does a little bit with the Chevy. But, you know, eventually, you know, money's going to get tight. You know, this is an expensive sport. Um, but Spires, um, they, they claim they're serious and want to be here. Um, we'll just have to see. Um, you know, Haley won there in Daytona, um, you know, it was lightning, whatever the case, I forget what it was, lightning. Um, but still, they, they, you know, and when he runs it at Talladega to Haley, the car's decent. Um, so I think, I think he'll, he'll do good on those plate tracks and um, short tracks maybe, depending on how good the motors. Corey seems optimistic about the motors and where this team's at. He says they got great people and he's excited about it. So um, Clayton, you're a believer of people win championships and not cars. So um, who knows, this car could go out and run 20th we just have to see um where the alliance goes if they get one at all and they're moving into a pretty nice shop um over where lfr was right behind charlotte motor speedway so um we'll just have to see hopefully he's competitive in the duels if he's not then he needs to be worried um but if he has speed he'll 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 be okay yeah and additional details and and first the shop was the former alan kawicki shop um that was uh, used by Alan Kowicki back in 92. I think he might have built that shop. The Vine family had certainly run it the last couple of years, and now it's going to be Spire's team. A couple more details that fizzled out here. Bob Pockris, give him the, the call. Uh, he said Spire will likely buy Chevrolet from both Hendrick and Ganassi for 2021. Remember, they're only going to have to buy cars for one year because the next-gen car will be here in 2022. And as far as the number 77 team, he said that would be the 77 have, could have multiple drivers during the season. He expects to see Justin Haley behind the wheel for some of that. I think that's where the 77 is going to go, too. Uh, I do think you might see the, uh, a couple other drivers, and they're going to work close, I think, with Trackhouse, too, which is the Justin Marks team. Maybe Justin Marks goes and runs a 77 at the road courses uh, because he's a good road racer. So that's all to be determined, and we'll, we'll work that out here as the offseason goes on. I'm sure we'll find more and more information. But just kind of wanted to tell people um, – that as the news fills it out. But yeah, it, it's a good move for him. It's a, it's a great opportunity. And um, it's going to be something to, to really, you're going to have to pay attention to here. Uh, Spire Motorsports and, and that team really running their first, I think, true hardcore uh, go at it in the Cup Series here with Core of the Joy. Um, you know, it looks like uh, Schutler Systems going to be part of it. Dry Dean's going to be part of it. He's got a couple other sponsors there. 
as well. But um, we got a caller here, and, and it's Ben, and he wants to discuss something about the new car. And um, I think, Philip, you'll be best to answer this question. So I'll let you answer it, and then Spencer and I can chime in after that. But uh, Ben is on. Yes. What do you yes, want to talk about tonight? Uh, I mean, it hasn't been talked about as of late, a lot more so, but um, I saw a while back they were talking about putting in a fifth year uh, with the next car. I'm like, how is that going to drastically change racing? Are we going to, like, I, I would think at, like, a place like Martinsville, you, I would think they're going to start shifting. I mean, for one, I would I would have to imagine, given the speed differences, they would start shifting. And I, on the bigger tracks, are we going to start seeing them go back from fourth and fifth, like what they do with IndyCar and fuel safe? Uh, or, or the flatter tracks start doing shifting? I mean, how is that going to drastically impact everything? Yeah, I, I, that's a great question, and, and and it's something I was thinking about, too. You know, they have, for all intents and purposes, the gearbox is going to be the same as uh, the Australian supercars uh, gearbox, which is a six-speed sequential gearbox, so it won't be the H-pattern four-speed that we've had for, for, for however many years, 60, 70 years or whatever in NASCAR. It'll be a sequential shift gearbox. I don't know if they're going to end up doing paddles, paddle shifts. I, I more than likely they're just going to have similar to the supercars. And I think they will. This may be a part of their, you know, the SOD, Steve Phelps. They don't have any clue what racing is, but they're the ones that are determining the package. This may actually work in their favor where the gearing and being able to shift in corners and trying to get give yourself more RPM to get through the center, get exit off, might be an option. And gear rules, obviously, they have a set gear rule that might be um, something where you could, especially at the flat tracks, you know, Phoenix, uh, which needs all the help it can get, you know, New Hampshire, those kind of tracks, I think it will definitely play. I think the 550 rules package tracks, this new six-speed gearbox is probably going to be uh, something that is uh, helps. And I and the point you brought up about Indy cars where they shift on ovals um, and that is a part of, like, fuel saving and things, that's something we have to see in terms of tech. And if they're going to get, like, different fuel, like, settings or not, whatever, uh, I don't know if they'll go that far. But um, that would be an option. That would be a way to kind of go and fuel save, too. Uh, great question, man. Uh, something that I thought about too, and I figure a lot of other people have as well. Yeah, I would, I would think it, and, and I don't know as much of, I'm not as skilled as that as Philip is about that kind of stuff, especially IndyCar and how they do it over there. But I would think a lot of it would come down to the gearing and how NASCAR regulates that, as far as shifting is concerned, and and whether or not we're going to do it at different racetracks. I do think it's going to certainly uh, add a lot more shift, shifting to. From what I saw, at least at the test, or what I heard at the test at Daytona Road Course, uh, it sounds like the road course is going to be, um, you know, a lot more shifting there than what we currently do in NASCAR as well. So it, that that's certainly an aspect of, of the sport that we've kind of missed here in NASCAR the last couple of years. I loved it when they shifted Pocono down that front straightaway. That was awesome. Um, it just, you know, to me, anything that kind of adds the driver to it helps. But uh, good question. Anything else on your mind tonight before we let you go? Uh, yes, um, I, I was just wondering, I guess that that sets it up leading to the next question. Are, is 
I guess the plane is there a potential they're going to add even more road courses after that? Because I was thinking partially that also originally they were going to have the next gen car this year. I was thinking that was part of their thinking with doing this as many road courses. Do you think there's possibility they're going to add even more as a result of this? Well, I don't know I where you not. stand on the road course. Yeah, I don't know where you stand on the road course uh, side of things. There's some people who, and I know I'm in the minority. I don't. I'm not a road course fan just because I grew up in NASCAR and I grew up on short tracks and and mile and a half mm-hmm. tracks and and I love the the oval part of NASCAR. To me, if you want to go run watch road course racing, you know, IMSA does a shitload of road course racing. So does NASCAR. <laughs> so does Formula One. Go watch that. That's where I. That's honestly, that's where I stand on. I like that NASCAR is different. Part of me is a little bit upset of the fact that we're sort of migrating NASCAR into other series and taking it because, to me, NASCAR is better than the other series. Um, but David Reagan, who we just had on, and I'm sure you listened to it, um, brought up some good points. It, the problem with, with, not, with going to these short road courses, they're a little bit more equipped. I would kind of argue with it and say they looked at uh, a – their guardrail over at the truck series, they're going to run Knoxville this year, the truck series, and they said the guardrail at the truck series at Knoxville is fine, which I don't know how you can say guardrail for a truck race at, on dirt is fine and then have the argument that we can't go to National Super Speedway in the truck series. Um, but as far as the Cup Series is concerned, I'm getting off track here. Um, I, I, I think we have plenty of road courses. Remember, there's going to be seven next year. We're not including the, the Bush Clash, which is going to be a road course race at Daytona, but it's a non-points event. So there's seven of 38 races next year. That's that's going to be – if you're a traditional short track tracker, short track fan that, that likes short track asphalt racing, next year we're going to have five short track uh, asphalt races and seven road course races on NASCAR in, in the Cup Series. So I hope that's not the case. I hope they don't look at it and say we want 10 or 15 road courses on the Cup Series. To me, that's a major, major, major turnoff. That's just how I feel about it. Um, but thanks for joining us here tonight, and uh, be sure to call in again. We enjoy having you. You will. That was Ben. Um, certainly a, a good question. Uh, Spencer, I, I didn't give you a shot at that one. I know you, you sounded like you wanted to chime in there. What are your thoughts on the road courses and um, and what he had to say? Do you think this, this new car, they, that they're gearing this new car towards a road course car? If they do that, whoever's calling the shot, um, and that office needs to be fired. Um, and I'm, and I'm being serious because this is, you know, this is NASCAR. You're used to oval. Um, you know, I am perfect. Now, mind you, I used to hate road course races. Um, I used to absolutely hate it. Now I, I really enjoy watching, um, Watkins Glen and Sonoma. I feel like those were the, the road courses that, those belong to NASCAR. When I thought of those racetracks, I didn't think about any other series but NASCAR. Um, and, you know, there's other there's other cars that race there. Um, but I can't preach this enough. This is NASCAR. This is not IMSA. This is not IndyCar. And, I, you know, all these, you know, they're, they're trying to go towards a new style fan. And, you know, I'm a much newer, you know, you guys would compare me as a newer fan compared to you guys. Um I mean, I was born in 98, but I'm, I'm old school. You know, I hate all the new stuff they're bringing in. I hate the one lug. Um, you know, I just like the traditional old school, and I feel like leaning towards all those road courses, you know, you mentioned seven. If we have any more than seven, 
I would love to meet the guy who called the shots and tell him what an idiot he is. Um, but yet again, they're trying to fill they're trying to fill the seats and make it more exciting. But you know, seven is a lot already as it is, um, and that's it, it. That's just way too many. Um, I'm fine with them going with um, making the Charlotte Roval. I think that's unique. Um, but those three is all I really wanted to see. Um, they need to add more short tracks. More short tracks. I mean. I mean, seven's just too many. That's all. Yeah, listen, I, I think you're preaching to the choir here. Uh, okay, guys, something I want to touch on. We've been kind of delaying in here the last couple of weeks just because there's been so much news here. And um, we'll get back to our, our normal uh, – I think we still have to do Chevrolet report cards. We'll get to that here either next week or the week after. There's some things we're working on. We're not really 100% sure exactly um, how everything's going to play out yet as far as the future schedule is concerned, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But um, I want to get your your guys' opinions on this before we end the night and just talk about the open team situation. And if, if, you know, just to refresh everybody's memory here really quick, uh, Carl Long was on SiriusXM NASCAR radio, and it was later confirmed by Bob Pachris that the $20,000 that was open to each, that was given to each open team in each race for the uh, 2020 season is now gone. They've now taken that $20,000, and it sounds like they're going to redistribute that into uh, the the purse for charter teams. So that $20,000 that teams like NBN Motorsports and Carl Long, who he works with, will no longer get that $20,000. Uh, David Reagan brought up, a good po- brought up an interesting point about how the powers that be at NASCAR um, don't want it to be how it was 30, 40 years ago when his father raced where you know, a farmer from Georgia could come in and start up a race team and get going. They want to kind of leave it for that for the truck series and leave that for maybe the ARCA series or even Canaan East and West, and gradually they can work their way up into a cup deal. Um, but a lot of people, myself included, love that, I feel at least, that the only way these teams can get started is if they, you know, the, the charter deal is going to be expensive to get their hands on a charter. You know, if if the only way you can make a profit in this sport is to have a charter, you're going to have to pay a lot of money to get that charter. So, you know, like that old saying goes, the way to start a uh, have a to, to make a small fortune in racing is to start with a big one. Um, Philip, I'll go to you, then I'll go to Spencer. What were your thoughts on Carl Long when he said that about those twenty twenty thousand dollars being eliminated from the back end of the field there for the open teams? And do you think this will have a major impact as far as how many open teams we see even come to Daytona or uh, throughout the rest of the year. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, both. I mean, David Reagan's interview was was eye-opening. I I said it in our chat, uh, whatever, our our regular chat. And um, with Carl Long, I'm, I'm, I'm a Carl Long fan. Uh, He got screwed by NASCAR, uh, years ago, um, he continues to get screwed by NASCAR, but somehow or another, he still shows up and he employs great people and they put vehicles in Xfinity. They put multiple vehicles out there in the Xfinity series. And he was showing up a lot of this year with a car to fill the field, um, in the cup series. He's one of the only people that had a gen six car. Um, and there were times where he ran up ran decent and had some mechanical problem or something like that. 
Um, well, I appreciate what David said about, you know, his dad and whatever, and that they moved on. I respectfully disagree in the sense that, you know, there's a reason why he said that, oh, we're not like Formula One. And Clayton, you say we're not like Formula One uh, or something like that. But quite frankly, we are. Um, the amount of engineering that's gone on with this gen up to this point from basically the end of the Gen 4 to now, the fact that Toyota has priced people and Joe Gibbs has priced people out of this sport and ran two um, businessmen out of this deal, um, the the notion that you need to be a billionaire like Michael Jordan to basically come in, uh, it's something I think I said last week here and on, on the GSP where they need to make sure they do everything in their power to make Matt Colleague happy. Because after Matt Colleague and Michael Jordan, basically, there's nobody. You know, they, sure, you have Justin Marks, but Justin Marks has been a freaking grinder businessman guy who could also race for 10, 15 years. He's been doing, he was a racer who was also doing this side hustle with his business, and he was a good, like, a pro-am guy. But then he's, like, basically a pro who actually had a business. The reality is they need to make sure that they angle themselves towards Justin Marks um, to to Matt Colleague, who's probably going to take over that 77 charter, um, and then and and Michael Jordan and Denny Hamlin, because if they don't, the future of this sport is 20 cars. You know, like there will be. Or, or it'll be they'll hope they'll get ten, four manufacturers and they'll have ten cars each. That's basically where we're going. Um, the only person that's made out in this deal in terms of the charters is is Rob Kaufman, and that's because he had to bail out Michael Waltrip's stupid ass from being a moron and a fruit. And the fact of the matter is, the charter system, just like the top 35 system, just like all these other stupid systems NASCAR's had over the years, does not work. And you add the fact that the cars and all the other costs has gone exponentially out of control relative to the amount of sponsorship that exists. If this kind of situation existed back in 2007, it makes sense. That was when they were doing two different cars. Um, the, the, all the money, the 2008 market crash, multiple, at least one other crash since then, you know, and then, you know, now we got COVID. It's not sustainable. Running guys like Carl Long out of the sport doesn't help the sport. It only makes the sport an elitist organization, and it makes it closer to Formula One and IMSA, which is what Jim France is. He's an IMSA guy first and foremost. The car in a lot of ways is IMSA. So, I mean, there's more road courses. Spencer brought it up. Jim France is a road course guy. He's an IMSA guy. He's not a NASCAR guy. His, his family and his name speaks NASCAR, and they own IMSA. But that's basically a V8 supercar they're going to be putting out there with whatever NASCAR body panels in, in 2022. Right. So, I mean, yeah. take it for what it is. Yeah, listen, um, there's certainly, I think, as far as open teams are concerned, we – Personally, for me, I like the and, – and this is uh, coming from a fan standpoint. Again, this is what, as fans, at least me personally, I love the, the seeing new teams come in and 
being able to be competitive. And um, this year is going to be a little bit of an outlier. I'm going to wait until 2022 when that new car comes. But what we've seen in the past, and Front Row Motorsports is a tremendous example of this, is that even when new teams start, if you're, you can only start with a two-car operation at most. If you get to three teams, and it gets a little bit, it gets a little crazy. You know, like they say about kids, two is like having two, and three is like having twenty. Uh, that's what race teams always are. We see RCR as a two-car operation. When they go to three, three cars, it gets a little messy there. Um, you know, so I, I guess what I'm getting at is, if you want to go against these four-car, sometimes if you want to look at it six-car operations, depending on if you believe that a, an alliance is a part, you know, that where a team gets their chassis and engines from a team, that's really basically a team. A lot of people felt that way when Stuart Haas was getting their chassis and engines from Hendrick, that it was an eight-car operation over there at Hendrick. Um, but it takes a lot for these, these teams who start up as a two-car operation and have no other real uh, assets other than a two-car operation and cup to go against the bigger teams in NASCAR that have been here for 20 years that have four teams in cup, two teams in Xfinity, uh, have millions and millions of dollars worth of, of profit and revenue each year. Uh, maybe this new car will negate that a little bit, but if you have to buy a charter to get in it, to me, it sort of negates everything. You know, if you've got to buy a charter for $3 million, sure, you're going to make more money, but just to get in is going to be, uh, you know, very, very difficult. So if you want to see new owners come into this sport, which we talk all the time about, how old some of these guys are, how some of these owners are a little bit um, older than, than, you know, they have a lot more years behind them than they have in front of them. You know, Rick Hendricks in his 70s. You know, we don't need to go through them all because we've done it a million times. But, you know, eventually they're going to end. That, them owning that team is going to end. And we've seen it before where if ownership changes hands and that person's not running things, sure, they're going to uh, still exist after that. But, the direction is going to completely change because somebody else is now running, now running things. Um, so you want new owners. You want to keep this sport healthy. You want to keep guys like, you know, Bob Jenkins or Matt Kolick, as you mentioned, you know, give them an, an opportunity to, to grow their, to, to grow their organization into a big time team and be able to compete with the big time cup teams. How about you, Spencer, before we sign off tonight? Uh, what did you think when you heard Carl Long's, um, you know, come out and say that they're taking the $20,000 away. Now, the open teams weren't in a great spot to begin with. They had their uh, a lot of their, their um, purse money taken away when this charter deal was taken. Um, but now it's it's just more. You know, now they're in a, even a, a little bit bigger hole here than what they were. And twenty grand per team, depending on sponsorship and whatnot, it's not the end of the world, but it certainly hurts them. So what was your thought on, on that, Spencer? Yeah, I think it hurts those um, small teams. You know, you know, if a new team's coming in, and you know that twenty grand can go a long, long way. You know, that's tires, fuel. You know, and you know those little teams. You know, that's why you know you see them. They're like, hey, um, you know, spend fifteen hundred dollars, you get a hot pass. Um, Spire's done that a lot in the past. Um, it's more like a a name sponsorship. Um, you know, that $1,500, you know, buys the food for the team while they're down here, um, puts a couple of the crews in the hotel, you know, those little teams, they, um, you know, they're not like Hendrick, you know, 
you know, they're not writing $50,000 checks to charities um, because they need all they can get. And, um, you know, 20 grand goes a long way with any startup business. I don't care what you're getting into construction, landscaping, you know, somebody writes you a $20,000 check, you can get your feet off the ground and get going to make money. Um, so that hurts those guys a lot. Um, you know, and you need, we need these owners in the sport, you know, like Philip touched on, you know, it's hard to, you know, come in to, um, anything without, you know, you, it's gonna, cause the, the sport is so expensive. Um, you know, you can't just go jump into it and own a, a baseball team or a basketball team or a football team, whatever the case may be, because it's so expensive, you know, everything has to start small, um, and work their way up. You know, some, you know, some teams, you know, when they come in, they have to start it with ARCA, um, you know, get their name and reputation out over there, win some races. Okay. Yeah. Time to jump to, um, trucks. Let's get a truck or let's get an Xfinity car, but you know, we're not going to be competitive, but we'll get sponsorship. Um, we'll win more than what it costs to run. We'll save money. So it, it, it really affects those, um, small teams a lot. I feel like, and, um, for that to happen, it's a shame, really. Um, and those charters are so expensive, and people aren't going to let go of them because your charter's worth how you perform. Um, that's why, you know, the 78 charter's worth so much money is because there was a championship one with it. There was um, four race win seasons. There was uh, three race win seasons. There was this and that. So um, charters are a lot. And when you have to come into the sport and automatically spend $3 million, $3 million could have bought you a couple cars have bought you a um a transporter but now you have to buy a charter that generally just says you're locked into the race it's not even an object so it it it, it affects a lot and, and that's a shame that um you know that's the way it's come but it's a business model and you know what can you do yeah and i think it's funny you mentioned that spencer and this is the last point before we uh, sign off tonight um there was an owner, and I forget who it was, but they had suggested that the way to make these charters profitable for, for team owners, if they ever wanted to get out and when they sold, is that they're the only way to get into the field. For example, no having no open teams. And I'm curious as to why NASCAR wants to leave that open right now. Why they don't, why they say, hey, we want we'll leave the four cars at the end of the field for people who want to do that. I'm curious as to the reason of why they, they feel the need to do that if you know if these teams are getting paid, which is again is their prerogative, but what is the I would just like to know what the reasoning is of why they they want to leave those four teams open. Is it for just strictly the Daytona five hundred? Where you know teams can make money just based off a of sponsorship at Daytona because of the amount of exposure that race gets. Um, and that could certainly be but I'm just curious as to, to why they haven't you – know, this was – and again, that, that thought of it from a former team owner where they said, hey, uh, just make 36 charters and take out the open teams five, six years ago. That wasn't anything new. So, you know, and I'm sure he was in, the, in those meetings, in the RTA meetings, suggesting that to NASCAR. So it's not like they haven't had years to think about that and they haven't, you know, had that conversation – I'm just curious as to why they feel the need, because if at this point, why are you leaving them open if, they, if there's no money to be gained for these teams? If, they, if, if they're not going to be able to um, you know, really sustain success and, and build from that 
from that, which basically they're not going to be able to do with, with the amount of money you took away from them, then what's the point of even having them? Just make it a 36-car field, or, or if you want to add a two charters, make a 38-car field and say we've added two charters and, and give the two longest teams that have been around charters and say now we're blocking everybody out. The only way you can get in is if you buy a charter from a team. Um, you know, to me the most and, – and again, I'm going on a little bit of a rant here, but to me, to me the most frustrating thing about these charters is how they're policed. NASCAR has been very, very lenient on a lot of different things, and even in the Xfinity Series with owner points and how they shift throughout years, it's insanity. But, you know, there's going to be an announcement here. Everybody's saying there's going to be an announcement here in the next couple of days where uh, Rick Ware Racing's got four charters. And I, last year, even David Reagan did it with, with, with um, you know, uh, Rick Ware Racing where he had a front row motorsports entry and used Rick Ware Racing's charter to get in, and then that team just went from front row motorsports to Rick Ware Racing after the Daytona 500, but David had locked and shot at the field. Um, a lot of people, myself included, think that that sort of shouldn't be allowed because what it does is it opens up Pandora's box. If you let one team do it, you know, you're going to let the next team do it, and then there's going to be a certain situation where eventually down the road we're going to get to chaos. And I think we're almost there with these charters. So I know I, I kind of went on a long rant there, but if they do decide to take the open teams out, I hope they sit there and say, we're going to take open teams out, but we're not going to let the shenanigans that go on with shifting charters the way they've been shifting. We're not going to let the lease program happen. We're, you're going to run as 38 teams, and there's going to be no confusion on it. We're going to be strict with that. Because to me, that's where it gets hairy. That's where it gets ridiculous. And uh, and that's where things start to get where you almost make a mockery of of qualifying for a race. That's just my personal opinion. But um, guys, great job as always here. We want to thank David Reagan again for uh, his his contribution to tonight's show. Really opened up our eyes and certainly something and brought a lot of info that we're certainly going to use on future shows and and, um, and certainly will follow away for uh, 2021 and 2022 and beyond with with this new car and everything that's going on. But uh, great show again. If you liked what you heard tonight on Talking Circles, like us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, uh, and we'll see you next time. We'll see you next week on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody.